I want you to open up to the book of Acts. Yes, and you know, whether it's a holy laughter or not, we're experiencing at the moment. I'm just really thankful we can laugh in church, um, but we are going to do things in order. Just pray with me. Let's start with, let's just jump right in with prayer. And then I'll kind of explain to you what in the world I, I think I'm going to accomplish or seek to accomplish in the next whatever period of time. We did not have communion last week, by the way, um, because there was, you know, it was, it would seem kind of weird and almost sacrilegious to put just grape juice next to the baked beans and Cumberland sausage we had. Uh, so we just thought we'd have it this week. Um, and so I, you know, that's just part of what we're going to do. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, 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 thank you for Landon and the gifts you've given him. Uh, Lord, and, and we recognize there's no place in Scripture that we read the term worship leader, but we, but we want to be worshipers. And he's been a good example to, uh, of us of, of worshiping and uh, praising. We recognize worship is not song. Worshiping is just the sacrifice of our heart laid before you, the abandon of our heart laid before you, which is done... In prayerfully, every breath we breathe, we want to do it, Lord, with a study of your word that we don't want to just gain knowledge to make ourselves smarter and, and put us in some form of pole position in some elect, uh, intellectual arena. But rather, God, that we would seek to apply it to our, our lives to be changed, to be moved, to be translated, transformed. And, and Lord, I just pray today that you would get me out of your way, Lord. I pray that you would immerse me in your spirit that I would disappear, that you would just be clearly seen. I pray that you would fill me to overflowing with your spirit, that I would just be, well, irrigation of your living water to douse and flood every one of us in the deluge of your love and kindness. On this day, Lord, for the time, every second, every moment, be filled, exalted, be filled with um, our devotion and adoration and be pleased with it. Be glorified in these words and be pleased with our intent right now to lay ourselves before you and say, here we are, we're yours. So have your way, Lord, I pray. Let your word burst open and come alive like perhaps it never has before in this beautiful time. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you would uh, just take every second now and, and make it yours. And Lord, bring encouragement, salvation, challenge, exhortation. Do whatever you want to do. Advocate every gift you see necessary. And, and teach us, Lord, pray. We pray and give it to you and ourselves. In Jesus' name. Amen. I would say uh, this morning is any. Please don't just believe me. You've heard it now as the routine. I'm thankful that's a routine. It's look at Don't just, uh, you know, I'm going to wave a snake in the air. I'm not going to. But if I did and just did it with passion and said, God told me, man, challenge everything. Hold up this beautiful book that um, everyone has shot at and tried to fill full of holes and only to discover that it ricochets back at themselves. Uh, two weeks ago, we started this concept in regards to spiritual gifts. When we started it, we looked at the idea from Acts 1 of the Holy Spirit coming upon us. And primarily, the primary focus was not to validate us. We were validated at the cross. The point was simple, and that was that God wanted us to become evidence. And as the Holy Spirit comes upon us, there's power. That's the idea. He empowers us for ministry, to be used. And there were two basic things. One was that the Holy Spirit came upon us to empower us to be witnesses to the lost and to, excuse me, and to empower us to be blessings to the saved. It's kind of that simple. 
And, and understand, that's something as a believer I would seek all the time. You hear me before every message ask for God to put His Spirit upon me for that reason. Because I know that I can do all kinds of stuff, but unless God does it through me, it's really not going to make much of a difference. Uh, and if it does, it won't be anything but temporary. And so, understand, as God pours His Holy Spirit upon people throughout all of Scripture, the Holy Spirit comes upon someone because God is a calling on their life, a specific mission or ministry, a specific thing, an objective, a directive he wants to accomplish, and he's going to put something in front of you that you cannot accomplish. You can't do in the flesh. You can't do in and of yourselves. You just ain't smart enough. You're not strong enough. You're not wise enough. You're not cunning enough. You're not social enough. You're not gifted enough in and of yourself. And God constantly lays things before us that are superhuman so that only he can do it. And it forces us to throw ourselves down before him and either do one of two things. That is, in faith, throw ourselves at his feet and say, God, you're going to have to do this or cling to our own selfishness and walk away from it and say it can't be done and that becomes the sort of the history of all of the scriptures are those moments where god says this is something that you can't do but i'll do through you and either man clings to god and great things happen or man looks and he sees the that they're grasshoppers in the sight or like grasshoppers in the sight of the anakim and say well there's just no way we can do it and god said i never said you could do it in the first place i laid something before you you couldn't do so i could and so the idea here is he says look at i know you're chickens i know you're freaked out i know you're scared i, I recognize you're human beings. I made you. And I know your fears. I know your selfishness. And I can give you the power to overcome all of that. To give, to overcome your insecurities. To overcome the, the things in your past and those failures in the past that says, I'm always predestined to do that. And he's not going to overcome all of that. That's the whole idea of my Holy Spirit coming upon you. And when it does, when he does, not it, because he's a he with an emotions and feelings and directives and intents. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, I will give you power so that you can become evidence to the lost and become blessings to the saved. And that's a simple approach. Last week as we looked at it, we looked at the importance of context. And the two places where they're listed, we recognize neither one of them tells us to take inventory to find out which of those gifts we have or don't have. And I've learned this about the Lord. If the Lord were just to sort of lay out and say, these are just the gifts I give you specifically, we become specialists. Have you learned that? I mean, you find a guy that goes, oh, I have the gift of healing. Therefore, I am a healer. Instead of God saying, you know what? I have a whole lot of gifts I want to give you. Don't focus on one of them. So delight in me and let me, let me live those gifts out through you. Well, I have the gift of prophecy. So therefore, I'm a prophet. God says, why don't you just delight in me? Let me validate you at the cross. And then let me use, let me put the right tip in the screwdriver at the right time for the right thing. You're the right tool at the right moment. And you're not just for this. Or you'll focus in one place. And says, neither one of the places, 1 Corinthians 12 or Romans 12, is it say, well, the way, now concerning spiritual gifts, let's just take a survey and think which ones you have. Because if, you know, and, and I'm not telling you that if you've ever taken such a survey, it's bad, it's evil. Here's just the danger in it. The focus is almost always on you. And it can be that case in a, in a real charismatic environment. Well, the idea is, it's about you. You're the man of God. You're the woman of God. And we're just going to make, make sure you got everything so you can take on Satan. And you just go, mm, we're going to take him down. And you know what? We're just going to look at me. You. Woo! You. And then versus God. Oh, God. And God. Delighting God. Focusing God. Surrender to God. Enjoy God. 
Because he's the one who adopted you. He's the one who saved you. He's the one who engulfs you in his love. He's the one who can't stop thinking about you, nor take his eyes off of you. And the moment you get engulfed in that, he uses you. He gets the glory. And you're not so big and bad anymore. As a matter of fact, now you're just greatly loved. And that's such a much better place to be. So another one of the places is it's like, hey, let's just focus on you for a moment. And as we focus on you, let's see what gifts you have so we can make sure that people look and go, oh, you're important in the church because of this. He says, it doesn't matter who you are in the church. If you are Christ, you belong to him. Then it clearly he's already, then you're a tool in his belt. He says, there's two kind of basic points. And remember, one was in regards to all to the whole and whole to the all or parts to the whole and whole to the parts. And that is that either, no matter how you look at it, one of two things is going to happen. And, and sort of that's what we looked at last week. The necessity of the many but one, the necessity of the one but many. In regards to the many but one, I am important. I'm integral, uh, integral and I'm necessary for the body of Christ. No matter what parts I think I have or don't have, no matter what spiritual gifts he's invested in me or hasn't invested in me, I am an integral part of the body of Christ. Like it or not, I don't drift off off into some other place and praise God our body doesn't do that praise God it isn't like somehow our spleen got offended popped out of our navel one day and decided to go hide in a corner and you're like wow I don't feel like I'm filtering toxins as well as I used to you know or you know your liver is just like I'm so fed up with it I'm just going to sit here pout and go on strike and all of a sudden I'm like wow I'm looking a little yellow these days what's up with that Praise God that that doesn't happen in your body, but unfortunately it does in the body of Christ. It seems like the sickest body on the planet is Christ's. How sad is that? Because most bodies aren't busy fighting itself. Aren't so busy trying to schism and cut itself and rip itself open. Jesus is. is. Because somehow down the line, it's like it still seems to submit itself to these ridiculous concepts of the enemy. So look at no matter who you are, you're important in the body of Christ. I just, and stop with the I just stuff. I mean, this week, someone replaced our faucet three different times. We're still waiting for hot water, but at least we have a faucet that works. (laughs) Someone put this light in so you could look at the, you know, at the word today. I mean, praise the Lord for that. What happened is the switch was blown. So they replaced the switch. Praise the Lord. And you go, I just, and I remember talking to this individual who said, you know, I'm just, just really kind of just do things like that. I'm like, well, praise the Lord, because if I were doing that, I'd still be working on that. And you'd have no one up here at the moment. That's like the bottom line is, is when the body works together, the whole body wins, including the head. On the other side of it, you're not just, as we kind of looked at it that way, it wasn't just the many but one, it's also the one but many. Which means though there's one body, there's many parts. So you ain't the only part of the body. So stop thinking everyone else isn't important. Not only are you an integral part, so are they. And even if they don't have your part, praise God, because if your whole body were one part, it would look really weird. God says no matter what part it is, make sure you recognize you're important and make sure you recognize so is everybody else. So you look around. I mean, and I can't help but think of marriage in this because there's something magical that happens the moment you say, I do. See, before that point, a man looks at the woman, the woman looks at the man, and she says, you know what? You got these strengths and I don't have these strengths. And he looks and goes, well, honey, that's all right because you've got these strengths and I don't have these strengths. You know, 
And it's like, and so there's this humility and this beauty. And then it's like, I do. And it's like the coin flips. And all of a sudden it's like, you know, I got these strengths and you ain't got these strengths. Well, I got these strengths and you don't have these strengths. I mean, what happened? All of a sudden you looked and saw the benefit of the other individual and you saw your weakness. And then you look at it and, you know, it's like, then that flips and all of a sudden it's like, why can't you keep up? You know, and you realize that comes in the, comes in the body of Christ. You know? I mean, all of it, I mean, before this it was like, I just love that she loves to talk all the time and sit and, and engage and now she's like that woman won't stop talking you know and she's like I just I just, it's like, I just love the way that he sort of steps into this situation and heroically kind of puts it into order and now she's like he's always trying to fix everything you know and it's funny how that works cause, and it's like that happens in the body of Christ it's like we gave our life to Christ and we knew we were miserable rotten sinners that Jesus died for and he was beat to death and that was for my sin alone and you know in regards to that I mean my sin alone could have caused all of that. And I'm like, wow, and I'm just, wow, I'm thankful to be a part of this. And then it was like, you know, part of this in the beginning was like being adopted into love. And then somewhere it was like stepping in something. Now I'm just, wow, I'm part of this. How did I get a part of this? This thing's like the Adam's family. Yes, we are Adam's family. That's where we started this. You know? And now here we are in all of this. And I still haven't gotten anywhere with what I'm just, this is our intro. Oh, God help me. And so, and if you remember, there was not only this whole aspect of you're part of a bigger thing, but that bigger thing you're a part of. There's also the aspect of love. You've got to be driven by a selfless, non-hypocritical, genuine, affectionate love. And especially for people that are the weirdest to you within the body of Christ. That just means they're different. And because that's what the world has to see is when they see people that are so radically different in generation and culture and color and shape and size and, and, and you know, and whatever in society and all of a sudden all this stuff happens. And then you look at it and people go, whoa, that's a weird thing. How is all of that sticking together? You know, yeah, it's Jesus. That's how that happens. And he's like, and look at, there's got to be love. There's got to be a love that is patient and kind and doesn't keep record of wrongs and, and isn't parading itself or proud. Things of other people. That's the whole point of it. Well, now we can go and we can start going through the list. But you know, I, I've been praying, Lord, what do we do? Do we just kind of make this something? Now let's just sort of list it out. There's 17 listed in between the two. Interesting. You won't find, I challenge you on this, you won't find the gift of evangelism. But that's something you kind of commonly taught. Well, the gift of evangelism. I look at this and I'm thinking, well, I don't find it on the list. I think it's because God wants us all evangelizing. And I realize, well, preaching, and I'm discovering this as I just, in my own time, getting away with the Lord. Preaching is teaching plus exhortation. That's all it is. is you're giving this information, you're teaching it, but then you're bringing exhortation to challenge them to do something with it. And I think, wow, that's actually really cool. But there's a spiritual gift of preaching because it's other two other gifts working together. It's a cool recipe evangelism. And I start looking and I think, well, what is that? Well, that's teaching and exhortation. That's what that is. And you find guys that are really primarily evangelists. They're fantastic exhorters. Sometimes they're terrible teachers, but they're great exhorters because they're like, you need to get to the cross. You've got a decision to make. Praise God that that gift is being exercised. And then I think, well, let's just really kind of have fun and bore them with kind of just a bunch of Greek and stuff. And, and it doesn't bore me. That's the problem is I'm kind of like the math nerd. And I hope I don't pick on anyone for that. I get excited about the equation and people are like, just give me the answer. <laughs> You know, like you don't understand, and there's the square root, and the, okay, well, let me just show you on my graphing calculator. And I'm again, I'm not trying to pick on anyone. I'm like that with scripture. I'm like, whoa, check out the verb tense, and the people are like, what does it mean? <laughs> we get to the book of, and then I went, well, you know what? How is it lived out? 
I mean, it's not going to be how it... I mean, granted, we, we'll recognize there are different gifts and different offices, different workings, so it isn't always going to be the same. But I decided, well, what if we did something kind of fun? We walked through the first half of the book of Acts, highlights, and just noted certain places where spiritual gifts are being advocated. Of the 17, and I realized by the time I got through 14 chapters, well, we had... We had every gift was being demonstrated. And you might find interesting how gifts are being demonstrated because some people have, d- have decided that certain gifts have their own bizarre definition to them that nobody ever did in Scripture, nobody ever talked about in Scripture, no one ever you know, defined within the epistles. But somehow in it, this is the new interpretation for this particular spiritual gift. And by the time you're done, you're like, you've spun around in circles until you're nauseous. And you're like, wow. That's what, how that gift is exercised. Well, and the reason a lot of times people do that is, if you'll pardon me for saying, some people just want to be really weird. And the, you can define these, say, well, my weirdness is a spiritual gift. I mean, people will tell you that, you know, as a pastor, there are guys who are like, I have the spiritual gift of sarcasm. I go, actually, that's sin. <laughs> and, you know, I have the spiritual gift of cutting people down. <laughs> that's sin. And, and, you know, people are like, ha, ha. That wasn't very funny. And, and you, you kind of realize, but I want you to know, I just demonstrated a spiritual gift to you. That rebuking was a bit of a prophetic gift. I just wanted you to know in case you want to be angry at me for that. And, and I just, I want to, I want to encourage you that don't just buy something as a spiritual gift because someone says it is. And it's amazing what things people have told me. Oh, this is, I have the spiritual gift of, I mean, things that are in some cases really, really even sinful. I mean, I mean, there are some things you just kind of should know. It doesn't matter how passionate someone is. I have the spiritual gift of scoping out the girls. And you go, well, I have the spiritual gift of grabbing the rod as a shepherd and whacking you in the head till you leave. <laughs> Being warmed and filled. And then I look at the first 14 chapters and the Lord does something really cool. He takes all of these 17 gifts and he demonstrates them in a way so that at least I could say, this is clearly one way it was demonstrated. I think that's fair. We're going to see some of them obviously demonstrate a lot. Now, now hear me out as we go into this. The Lord, remember, gives you gifts to be a blessing to the body. But the church sometimes kind of looks at the book of Acts and idolizes it romantically as if, first of all, it was the perfect church, that it didn't lack anything, and that it seemed like it was always right on target. It drove right in the center of the road where it should or whatever. And people go, we need to go back to the first century church. Well, first of all, the reason for 90% of the epistles was that the church was so messed up, someone had to write a letter to correct it. That's good news. I mean, to be honest, I think in a lot of ways we are much like the first century church. Um, But on the other side of it, I think the one thing we do need to get back to that the first century church did have that the church is missing is not miracles. I don't think that the church um, is lacking miracles. I think the church is lacking a message. And I think that's the biggest problem. People got lit up because they met Jesus and they met a risen, resurrected, living Jesus. And that resurrected, revolutionary, living Jesus revolutionized them. 
And the people didn't have all of the answers that they, you know, in regards to what people today, you make sure you have all this archaeology and you can argue properly and have proper philosophical training so you know how to basically decipher a positive argument from an, a faulty argument or all that. These were simple men who just basically were like, look it, I met Jesus, he's alive. I met him today. He killed him a while back. He's alive today. I met him today. And that was all the argument they needed because they didn't, they had the answer, not all of the answers. They had the answer and they just knew what was the important question to answer. I mean, I don't, can you imagine? I mean, think about it. What would it be like by Acts chapter three or four, if somebody just kind of came up to Peter and said, oh yeah, well, who's Cain's wife? What do you think Peter would have done? I can see him going, what? What are you talking about? Jesus died and he rose again. Yeah, 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 yeah. Who's Cain's wife? Peter's like, who cares who's Cain's wife? I mean, you can see that just not being an issue to them. Oh, yeah, well, I believe everything came out of exploding pee. Imagine if someone said that to Peter. I believe that was a pee. All matter was a pee and it exploded into all of this. You can see Peter going, I have no idea what you're talking about, but I do know this. And it's somehow down the line, somewhere, see, Peter didn't care about the fact that they called him. By the way, it tells us when the lead, religious leaders look at him, they say they called him, they, they said they noticed they were untrained and unschooled. The word is idiotes in the Greek. Can you figure out where that goes? <laughs> we don't read anywhere that Peter goes, well, obviously they think we're idiots. Well, let's talk, let's talk smarter. You know, don't worry, Peter, in another 1600 years, Shakespeare will be here and we'll be able to quote him. That'll be fun. You can see Peter going, I can't do that. There's no way. I have a hard enough time catching fish. <laughs> I mean, Jesus gave a parable for children, and I'm like going, I don't get it. <laughs> they weren't trying to be smart. They were trying to be effective. And Jesus said, oh, let me warn you, by the way, everyone's going to think you are an idiot. Now, Jesus didn't say that, and Paul didn't say that in 1 Corinthians 1, because the whole concept was, well, you know what? I'm telling you that, so let's now beef up on all of our long, big words so that we don't look as stupid as they think we're going to be. See, they understand, they make the rules for their world. And if they make the rules for their world, when you start sounding smart, they'll just rule that out and change the rules again. I've learned that. Jesus says, I give you simple tools that are completely effective for eternity so that everyone whose who's mind can use them. Gospels, for instance. And he goes, the gospel's foolishness to those who are perishing. If it's not foolishness to those who are perishing, it just might not be the gospel. Now, are you ready? Now that we've spent half of the time just preparing us for this, we've sort of spent so much time massaging the meat and salting it, we better get it cooked. <laughs> And Acts chapter 1, we've already been there where Jesus is now ascended. As Jesus has ascended now, we read this in verse 15. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples altogether. The number of them was about 120. And he said, Men and brothers, the Scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before this by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. He was numbered with us, but obtained a part in the ministry. And he tells us, the man obtained a field, fell down, his entrails burst out. They call it now Acheldama, which means field of blood. And he says, by the way, this is consistent with, with chapter, or verse, he says in verse 20, this is consistent with scripture. In the book of Psalms, it says, let his place be desolate. And this is Psalm 69, 25. And let no one live in it. Let another take his office. So then, 
let's have someone take his office. What is Peter doing? There are two gifts being demonstrated. And one of the things you're going to find, by the way, with the spiritual gift of teaching is, Scripture seems to always be involved. Now, hear me out. The gift of teaching is a dangerous one. And the reason is, I've learned that there are some people who have the talent of teaching, but don't necessarily have the spiritual gift of teaching. And I understand the difference is fundamental. To teach simply means you can communicate information in a way well enough that other people can grab that information. But it takes a spiritual gift to give spiritual information that can be received spiritually for a spiritual transformation. Now, on the other side of it, there was a guy, and he taught at a men's conference once, and bless this guy's heart. See, understand, I'm not the most mechanical guy, and to be honest, it's, I just don't have experience in that arena. But he talked about how somehow... Something in regards to your walk with the Lord is a lot like changing a carburetor. By the time we were done, I was pretty convinced I knew how to change a carburetor, but I had no idea how that related to anything in Scripture. I've heard him speak two or three different times, and I would say he is a talented teacher. I mean, every time he speaks about something that doesn't involve spiritual nature, I get it. And I'd like to think, and I'm, you know, you're kind of hitting yourself in the head going, what, am I missing? Lord, am I, am I not right with you? I mean, is my, are my antennas down? Oh, I'm, I'm don't, I don't get it. And it's like, praise the Lord, the guy is, is good at what he does, but it just, I, I, I know maybe he does and I don't get it, but somehow I just doesn't communicate anything spiritual to me. There are other people who it seems like they drool out of the side of their mouth. They can barely speak anything. But the moment they open up about scripture, amazing things come out and you're like, wow, I get all that. And there's a radical difference. Throughout the book of Acts, you're going to find an awful lot of people teaching. And when they teach, by the way, it just seems like they're like, by the way, that lines up with this scripture. And putting that stuff together is part of what happens as a teacher. And I love that stuff. I mean, by the time you're done, you shouldn't just know about things spiritually or know what it's like to just kind of live a counterculture. You should know this book better. I mean, a teacher, because to be honest, we could probably all sit around a room and without this book and try to say, let's just try to figure out what it probably would be like to live a countercultural Christian life. And we could probably come up with a lot of things. But in the end of it all, someone could challenge it and we have nothing to stand on. Well, we kind of concluded together and we took a vote and was pretty unanimous. We should probably do this or not do that. And unfortunately, think about it. Most people, that's the way the Christian walk is. I mean, why do you drink or not drink? Why do you see a movie or not see a movie? To what level of a movie do you see or not see? Or what kind of clothes would you wear or wouldn't you wear? Most people, it's just going to be because they kind of hung out in a particular society and it was dictated. Then you get into Scripture and I start to realize something really changes. The moment I start diving into Scripture, there's a part of me that starts saying, it's not anymore about what I can get away with, but to be honest, it's about how I can get more of Him. And that changes everything now. And all of a sudden it becomes different and it's like, I want to know this book better. And I've had pastors go, you know, well, well, we talk about Scripture, but you, like, preach at the Scripture. And I still have no idea what he means by that. But you like, these kind of things are like, well, I'm happy with what I do. And I, I love it. But when we get to this, Peter stands up and he starts going, hey, let's put these things together. This is the Scripture. This is the situation. We put these things together. What did we come up with? We came up with that what Judas, was, what Judas did was actually prophesied. But Peter also does something else as a result of that. There are two different gifts. There's one that's administration and there's one that's leadership. Interesting, there's two different terms. Now, administration, by the way, for what it's worth, and you see the terms that are on here for these, these things, and we'll see it here as government is one of them. The word government really means to pilot, the idea of steering a ship. 
And Peter, now, now this doesn't mean just because you're a control freak you have this spiritual gift. The idea of it, this though, is that Peter is steering a group of people to make a godly decision a godly way. And the way that he uses, by the way, is he uses scripture. He says, here's the situation, here's how scripture matches it, and this is what scripture says for us to do with it. The scriptural response is, let another take his office. That was the spiritual gift of government or administration. And that's what we see as the last of your list if you look at him there. Now, with that in mind, he's like, well, how do we do it? No, no, this is where I know Peter's not a control freak at this moment. Because if Peter were operating in the flesh, Peter probably would have the guy that he'd want. Or at least he'd have a group of people stand before him and he could interview them, check their CVs, see how it all plays out. But instead, what Peter did is he went, well, let's let the Lord decide this. And it tells us in the book of Proverbs that the lot that is cast into the lap is actually from the Lord. So, here's the deal. First of all, let's take a couple guys. Here are qualifications. Let's find somebody that had been with Jesus from his baptism all the way to his ascension. So at least we know this is a guy that's actually very familiar with. He's been with Jesus through that time. And they're like, to be honest, we only have two guys that we're really confident have been there that long. Which is interesting because neither one of these guys we have ever heard of before this point. But I would, I would venture to say when Jesus picked his 12, those two guys didn't make the cut. They were two guys that actually had to watch Jesus pick Judas instead of them. Because they were there through Jesus' ministry. But now think about this for a second. Hear me out. There's a little side point for this. And I believe, let me just toss out this sort of word of encouragement or exhortation. A word for you. It just because the Lord picked someone else at a particular moment. By the way, even in some cases, it turned out to be a nutball, or in this case, a betrayer. Doesn't mean that the Lord never had you in mind. Because to be honest, the Lord's like, hey, I do have you in mind, just not yet. Let's let this guy do his thing first. Because this has to happen, to be honest. I have to get to the cross somehow, and I need one of you to do it. Be thankful I didn't pick you at this moment. I picked someone that's a betrayer, and if you didn't make that cut, praise God, that's not the varsity team you want to be on. So let me pick someone else. Let him run his course. And then when that's done, we're going to put you in your place. And somehow in all of this, this guy Matthias lands into this spot. That's an interesting point. Now, Peter's already demonstrated, at least at this point, he's demonstrated administration, but then he's also demonstrated wisdom, a word of wisdom. The word of wisdom is, well, let's do it this way then. For instance, let's cast the lot. That's a word of wisdom. A word of wisdom, understand, wisdom in its simplest sense is taking knowledge and properly applying it. It's that simple. A word of, a word of knowledge is, I, I've just got some information I couldn't possibly know unless God spoke it into me. A word of, of wisdom is, this is what we do with it. Joseph, for instance, in the Old Testament, when Joseph says, you know, we'll look at the, here's the interpretation. There's going to be the seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. Now that's information he couldn't have known unless God gave it to him. Now we could have ended with that. He goes, but so let me toss out this recommendation. While you have seven years of plenty, store up 20% of that so that when the famine comes, you've got grain. That's a wise decision with your information. Now, that's the way the Lord works. And in this case, here's Peter. Think about it. Somehow in us, the Holy Spirit says, time to use Peter. Now, this is before the Holy Spirit has even come upon them, because that's chapter 2, but God's still already using them. And what is he doing? He's going to look at, let me give you some information. Let's put this into proper wisdom. And with that, let's, let's advocate your gift of administration. We'll see in this. And as we give, if we advocate that administration, now we're going to be able to have, and everyone, no one seems to compete. Nobody says, hey, who died and made you Pope? The bottom line is God just kind of raised them up and he took it and he stepped into the situation. Chapter 2. 
Now with us, we've got our 12. Our 12th guy now is Matthias. We're still in a room, upper room, praying, waiting for this power of the Holy Spirit. We still have no idea how it happens yet. And then the Holy Spirit comes down in a way we've never seen. Now understand up to this point, we don't have, I mean, when the Holy Spirit comes upon people, it seems like the telltale sign of it is prophecy. Now all of a sudden, something really strange happens. The Holy Spirit comes upon these guys and they start to praise. Don't miss that because we say, well, they speak in tongues. But let's be honest. If I was like, hey, by the way, I just heard Leon speak Italian. You might want to say, well, what did he say? Unless you just think it's amazing that he spoke Italian. That's the part people can miss because it's just such a cool thing that somebody just spoke in a language that they didn't before that moment. But it tells us that the people gathered and said, we hear them speaking the wonderful works of God. They're praising God for these wonderful things that the Lord has done. So think about it. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. They all start to pray so that they do it in all of these languages. Well, and then there's a guy who speaks Hebrew in the middle of it all. Because when they say we hear them speak in all these languages, and again, one of them is Hebrew, that means some guy didn't necessarily speak in a different language, but he still prays. That was the one thing they all did was praise. They all did was speak boldly because we promised us that we'd be witnesses, right? And then, so, okay, so we see this gift of tongues in action. When this gift of tongues is in action, and I challenge you, by the way, six different times we'll specifically see the term the Holy Spirit fell upon someone. Of those six times, only three of those times, only half of those times, will you actually see someone literally speak in tongues according to the book of Acts. Of those three times, just, and again, let me just toss this out for your consideration. Once it's here in Jerusalem, that's going to be here as we see. Once is going to be later, we'll see with, with the Samaritans, we'll see. And then what's, you know, or actually with the Gentiles, and then and that's going to be with the whole Cornelius situation. And then that's going to cause all kinds of trouble. That's in chapter 10. Well, then the last of them is in Ephesus later on. Now, might I just say, and I'm going to make this clear, this is my opinion, you're welcome to, to, to disagree with me. My humble request is if you do, make sure it's scriptural. Is that God wanted to make sure that you knew something. I mean, in the first case, something really radical happened. People speak in all these languages and all those people who spoke those languages gathered together and said, well, something strange. I hear Italian coming out of there. All right. You know, I mean, how weird would that be? And then they all gathered together. But Peter stands up and preaches the gospel at the end of all of that. I'm very thankful for it. isn't just like they went, wow, you guys are awesome. Look at how you speak those languages. I mean, if that's where it ended, what a waste that would be. Second case, it's Gentiles who speak in Acts 10. Peter has to defend that because now they're going, Gentiles saved? Gentiles don't get saved. And Peter's response, and I love this, he says, look it, if God gave them the same gift he gave us, then clearly he saves them the same way he saved us. It was proof that God saves the Gentiles. It wasn't just like, wow, they're just as cool as we are. It's important to recognize that. Well, then there's one other thing. Well, then why does God even add a third time if we recognize that Gentiles can be saved by chapter 10? Well, if you know anything about the Middle East and gods, they're all seemingly territorial. If you remember when God seems to, to take on people and they go, oh, he's the God of the hills. Let's find him in the plains. And God says, well, just because they think I'm only up there, I'll whoop them down here too. So you know I'm the God everywhere. Well, in the third case... God actually pours out His Spirit in the same manner in Ephesus, so you can't say, well, it only happens in Israel. I'm going to go get the Jerusalem blessing. If I just go to Jerusalem, I'm going to speak in tongues, because that's the Jerusalem blessing. You're like, well, funny, that's actually happening all the way in Ephesus, too, and that's about as Gentile of any place you're going to find. That's like saying, wow, guess what? It happened in Jerusalem, but now it's happening in New Orleans. People go, in New Orleans? Why would it happen there? Because God will actually he'll come upon you anywhere you need Him to. 
So the people are speaking in tongues as a result of that. Peter stands up and guess what he does? He preaches. And might I just say, there's prophecy in action, there's exhortation in action, and then miracles and giving are all demonstrated in this chapter. And we haven't even gotten to chapter 3 yet. Look at verse um, 38 with me. The people say, what do we need to do? He says, repent. That's how I know prophecy is in action. When people talk about prophets, they tend to think as if somehow what happens is the guy puts on his robe, gets a shaky voice, starts to get really loud, and then just basically says, God says this, and God says you're going to be a dancer, and God says you're going to be a this, and God says you're going to go out with me tonight. And, and that doesn't mean it doesn't, you know, that, that, that stuff isn't true, but we're to test all prophecies and not despise them. But one thing I see in Scripture is that God is constantly using prophets to challenge his own people to repent. That's the big point. And when people go, we don't need prophets today, I go, you know what, to be honest, I am not a non-profit organization. I'm all about prophets. There needs to be a challenge to, to God's people to repent. I think that's one of the most lacking things among the body of Christ. The problem is we'd stone them today just like we would have back then. The problem is we'd stone actually the good ones and applaud and, and let the other ones have their own TV show. The false prophet hour. God loves you and only wants you to be happy. He's going to be your master card, not your master. That's right. The biblical bellhop. Ding, 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 ding. This is what I want. Santa. I mean, Jesus. <laughs> Peter says, look at They said, what do we do? And Peter doesn't go, you know what? What you might want to do is take my course. He says, you need to repent right now. You need to repent. You need to. Everything needs to change right now. Repent, every one of you. And be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But look at verse 40. In verse 40 it says, And with many other words he testified and exhorted them. How do I know the gift of exhortation was happening? Because he was exhorting them. I do love this. Did you notice it said, And with many other words? Do you know what that means? God gave us the abridged sermon in chapter 2. He's like, man, I tell you what, Peter, Peter could have gone on for hours. We don't even know. All I know is that no matter how long it was, God says, well, here's some highlights of it. If you want to see the whole reel, wait till you get to heaven. You'll have all the time in the world to do it. Um, or in the time out of the world. But he did exhort them. Now, understand, exhortation is, in its simplest sense, a challenge for you to put into practice what you know. It's that simple. Then do it. Let me tell you someone I think really had the gift of exhortation. James. You read the Gospel of... Or the, I would call it the Gospel of James, but the book of James... He says, don't lie to yourself by knowing it, saying, oh, I know it. Do what it says. That's exhortation. Those of you who are familiar with Stephen Curtis Chapman, I tell you, one of my favorite things about the guy is that he really advocates a spiritual gift of exhortation. He's not one of those guys that's just like, hey, let's get all warm and fuzzy. Let's forget about the world for a moment. He's going, look at Get up and do something. You write songs like Dive On In and come on, let us pray, let us pray. And then in the middle of the song, he has you praying with him in the middle of the song. You're already there. You're like, yeah, that's a good idea. Now, let's do it. You know, and I realize that's a spiritual gift in action. The dangerous thing is if you have any, someone who's solely teaching with no exhortation involved in it, what will happen is you'll, get, you'll become a really smart person, but it tells us knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And, and I, 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 I pray for that. God, make me an exhorter. Not necessarily an irritant unless necessary, but make me an exhorter. Verse 43, it says, Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. But might I just say, the message had just gotten preached. 
See, see, the thing is, God holds us responsible for the message, and then he backs it up with whatever miracle he finds necessary. You're not responsible for the miracle. You're responsible for the message. Let him handle the rest. But then look at verse 45. And they sold their possessions and goods and, and divided them among all as anyone had need. That is the gift of giving, isn't it? I mean, let's be honest. Ladies, you, maybe some of you know this. You really want a man to love you? See what he does with his wallet. I mean, if the man's like, look, I love you, but man, you can't get near this thing. You know? I love you. Here's, here's a pound. Here's a pound coin. Now, I'm not telling you that what that means is that he's got to, like, you know, he's got to fill you with bling bling. What I do need is, you know, but it's important to note that it's like, look, if he's too busy holding on to that more than he would be pursuing you in a godly fashion with commitment, something has to be committed to. What are you committing? Where's the commitment? And understand these people, and it's the same thing. And I, do, I, do I dare say it? It's the same thing with the Lord. Because if the Lord's like, look at I love you more than everything. And God goes, well then, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And he doesn't say it to everyone, but he knows who to say that to. And all he's saying it to is, oh, by the way, um, this thing, it's your God. Can I take this from you? And you're like, God, I love you more than anything. No! <laughs> you know? God, you make me happy. You fill me full of joy. Putting the string breaks. Ah, oh, come on! <laughs> Funny that joy went that quick. Yeah. You know, I mean, and, I, and I've watched. I have friends that are like this, where they were they were driving in the car, they were praising the Lord, and Lord, you're everything, and they get in an accident, and they're like, I hate my day. I'm like, how did you hate your day? You were praising God a moment ago, saying He was everything, and God goes, No, I'm not. Watch this. <laughs> you're everything. No. Oh, my car, my car. You're everything, my car. These people are like, I don't need this. My bits and bobs and all of my, my collection of gnomes and my, you know. Are these, are, this is important. Ah, oh, eBay, glory to God. You know, the glorious gum tree, you know, I mean... I love you. Have my stuff. And these people are like, yeah. And you know what? It's, it's, I mean, how hard is it for me to say this? But it's like, what pastor, what church wouldn't pray for people to have the gift of giving? I mean, none of this is cheap. We live in one of the, one of the two most expensive places in the world. And, you know, it's like, I just pray, Lord, could you bring people who have the gift of giving and then make them filthy rich? I'm um, just kidding. Um, <laughs> Oh, kind of kidding, you know, but um, make them cleanly rich. Uh, you know, it's like, but you, you ever watch a person who actually really, I mean, they almost giggle when they give. They're just like, it's just so fun for them. I think my wife's parents have that gift. Uh, and I oh, praise the Lord. And I, I didn't know that until after we were married. Just make that really clear. You're kind of nice. Oh, you're fine now. Um, you know, no, truth, truth be told, they are, they're always kind of the kind of people that's like they open up their house to people that just they kind of let them in. That's just part of the way that they give. And they're like, where's the need? How do we help with that? And it's, it's just it's cool to watch people like that. I pray to have that gift. I'm, I don't necessarily demonstrate it in any particular regular fashion, but I do pray for it. People clearly here do. All right, chapter 3. Wow, you're moving along. 
Now the church is established. 3,000 people. That means the church isn't established. The church is in chaos. There's 3,000 people that are brand new believers. 3,000 people rescued in, out of hell in a day. And that's a whole lot of brand new ideas about people going, well, I think Christianity should look like this. And they're going, let's start with saying you know nothing. Don't bring that stuff into this. Because that's where a lot of problems happen. Well, you know, I was kind of important before and I was a rock star. Let's just jump in and now I'm going to be a rock star for Jesus. Actually, what you're going to be is quiet for Jesus. Quiet for Jesus. Sit and be still and know that He's God, that He's the Lord. You know, it's like in there. And then there are others that are like, look at, I've always been kind of nothing. I've been kind of a frump. And it's like, wow, and the Lord's going to call you out of your frumpness. And you're like, I kind of like my frumpness. It's like, yeah, the frumpness is what you left at the cross. Now, you you know, it's like, this is amazing what's going to happen. And, and we start to change and all that. And it's like, well, but that here's the dangerous thing. You could kind of go, well, we're done. It's big enough. And, you know, you, you know, yesterday we had 120 Today, we've got 3,000 people standing around praising God. Well, obviously, our outreach program worked really well. How did it work? I don't know. We sat in a room and we waited until fiery tongues fell on our head. And we spoke languages we didn't even know. And people came together. And one guy stood up and he took charge. Now, this time, instead of him just being administrative, where he's like, well, I think we need to do this to this, he actually takes the other one, which is the role of leadership. The word's proistamen. It literally means just to stand in front of people. And that's a different that's a different gift. I mean, there's the person that kind of goes, "Hey, well, let's see how let's make this happen." Like the issue with Matthias. But here, Peter's standing up now and he's showing leadership. Now, understand, a lot of people like this because they think it makes them look good on a stamp. I want the role of leadership. But understand, the guy in the front's the first one that gets hit when they throw things. Think about it. The guy that's in the front's the one they take the picture of when they when they land blast the person as an idiot. It's the guy on the cover. So understand, you know, it's like, look at the leadership, the role of leadership. Part of it is you just know from the moment you step up, you've got a target on you. Get over it and deal with it. Here's the cool thing is I've learned this in like American football. They don't try to tackle a person who's lousy. They hope that guy tries to go for the ball because he's going to ruin it. The guy that gets tackled is the guy that's good. And I know what it's like to have someone, and this isn't brag, it's just what the Lord gives. He's like saying, look it, I'm going to kill you before this day's over. And I'm like, wow, thank you. You have no idea how impressive it is to hear that. You just complimented me. You're not going to get it, but, and actually they wound up killing me that day. But anyway, um, the point is, is like, look it, if you've got a target, there's a reason for it. That means you're, val you're a valuable player in this. You don't want to be the person when you step out on the field, the other team goes, okay, now we finally get a breather. <laughs> Yeah, thank the Lord he's on the team now, or she's on the team. And Peter stands in front of all of these people. Now understand, he's standing in front of people while other people are going, they're drunk. Remember how they're saying that? They're mocking. And Peter's going to say to them and go, hey, enough with this. Don't even listen to those guys. Let me tell you what it really is. And then he prophesies. He puts scripture together, so he's teaching. And then he exhorts. This is what you need to do with it. So again, he's using those same gifts. I pray that you would do the same. But with all of that, that doesn't mean everyone's going to be really happy about it. By chapter 3 now, he's walking to the temple. There's Peter and John. They're going to pray. And it says, notice in verse 4, that there's a man that had been there. He was over 40 years old. He'd been lame from birth. And it says, fixing their eyes upon them, he says, look at us. I might I just dare say he's demonstrating the gift of faith. Now, understand, <clears throat> faith has been made really fancy. And some people even delegate it to all kinds of crazy things. All faith is is trust. And some people, God has given this beautiful super, supernatural gift, supernatural gift of trusting God with supernatural things. He's given them an eternal gift in the sense of something that's attached to eternity for eternal matters. 
Now, it's one thing to have the gift of just being, you know, some people call it the gift of irresponsibility. You know, that's why you just don't take things seriously. There are other people, by the way, who just know that the Lord's got to take care of it because it's his bill to do so in the first place. The problem is somebody who might be naturally administrative tends to be very troubled by a person who happens to have a lot of faith. I, if I can just dare risk saying this, I had to train myself to look concerned about things. I don't want to say why, but uh, <laughs> but the you know the simplest because obviously you know when a situation would come, the natural response is you're just not taking this seriously, you know. And I'm like, well, yeah, I am. It's, I'm serious that the Lord's going to handle it. Well, you're going to probably well, let me show you three more angles of how you know. I'm still the same. The Lord's going to take care. Of it. So I finally learned this. Hmm. Now I have these lines right here that I didn't need to have. These lines, it's like I could crack an almond right there. Ooh, yeah. Mm, that's concerning. Lord's going to handle it. But at least now there's I'm taking it seriously before I demonstrate my faith. But any of that, you know, I mean, you better have faith. You're going to step out into the mission field, you better have faith. And understand again, you better have trust. You better trust. When I mean, we talk, when I mean, we have these cool little expressions, it's God's will, it's God's bill, where God guides, God provides, and those things are like taunting an individual who struggles in their faith. Because you're like, oh, God provides. Oh, like, well, of course God provides until I need it. <laughs> God's going to provide for you, sister. Don't worry about that. How are we going to pay this? Isn't it amazing how sometimes the biggest miracle, like I could say, look at, I just want you to know, little Jimmy, he was born with one leg and one ventricle coming out of his heart. Someone laid hands on him, and now he's a perfectly normal child. And you go, praise the Lord, that's really cool. And I tell you what, I was getting kicked out of my house, and the Lord paid the bill. Whoa, praise the Lord! Like, that's amazing! That's like parting the Red Sea. Growing another arm or a leg, or someone being healed of AIDS. No, it's cool. But man, paying the bills, whoa! The reason is because not all of us are dying of AIDS. Hopefully none of us. But, you know, it's like, but all of us have bills to pay. It's like, wow, that one hits home for everyone. Oh, yeah, that's a miracle. And he looks, I know, imagine, I mean, faith is best demonstrated where you're going to look like an idiot if God doesn't come through. That's when faith is, that's when faith is really demonstrated. Now imagine, Peter and John walk by, they see this guy, he's sitting there, and they look and they go, look at us. And the guy looks at him expecting to get something. At that moment, you can see Peter and John going, April Fool's, they keep walking. God loves you. Here's the track. But they don't do that. They go, look at us. I don't have gold or silver to give you. So, okay, put this in there. There's a guy sitting there. He's kind of, he's already kind of, he's dropped. And he looks and goes, look at us. I've got no money. And you can think the guy's like, what are you, some kind of joker or something? <laughs> I've got better. And imagine if you could have stopped there, you'd be like, there's nothing better than that. Because there wasn't in his docket of possibilities that he was going to get up and walk that day. Can't see it. I'm going, maybe today I'll walk. I mean, I was born. I've never been able to walk. I'm over 40. Yeah, I've never walked before. Maybe today I'll get up and walk. That's a really, really positive attitude that would seem to be unrealistic. Not for Peter and John. In the name of Jesus Christ, and there's a get up and walk. And the guy gets up and walks. Now that's faith, but that's also healing in action, isn't it? And we saw the gift of healing in action. And you'd think everybody was really happy about that, but of course not. So, what happens? People gather together, and guess what Peter does? He starts advocating other spiritual gifts again. 
starts teaching, saying, look at this, this is exactly what you think this was something we did. This wasn't something we did. This was what Jesus did. Remember that guy you killed? Remember that guy that you had handed over to Pilate? Remember? Well, well, you know what you need to do. Well, look at verse 19. Repent, therefore. So what gift is he advocating there? Prophecy. The moment he starts challenging someone to repent, it's prophecy in action. Repent, therefore. Repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Now, be converted. Now that tells me he's not only being using prophecy, but what's the other gift when I'm challenging you to put something in action? Exhortation. He's exhorting them. I'm exhorting you, man. Change. I can't change. Oh, no, you can change right now. If this guy can change, can't you change? This guy was born this way. Uh-huh. And you were too. Now change. Same place. Jesus, he's the one who does it all. So what happens as a result of that? Lots of people praise God. Other people go and tell the boss. Or what appears to be. By chapter 4 then what happens? They call those guys and say, Hey, you need to stop healing people out on our church grounds. That's looking bad. Think about that. It's bad for business when you start healing people on our church grounds. Will you stop that? That's not what we do here. This is a church or a temple. This is a place that, you know, we we have a farmer's market going on in here. And you're interfering by getting these guys because when these guys go up, everyone runs to them. It's bad for business. Supposed to be a house of prayer, but you know, not everyone can pray because everyone's so excited about hanging out with this Jesus guy. Funny, isn't prayer hanging out with this Jesus guy? Do you find it funny? If the, in other words, if prayer ain't happening in the church, God's just going to have it happen somewhere else so everyone can flock and do it there. You okay with that? And Peter's like, well, it looks like we got a conflict. <laughs> so, what's well, judge for yourself then. Should we obey you? Should we obey God? Look at verse 12, chapter 4. There's not salvation in any other. There's no other name in heaven given by which we must be saved. Boy, can you get any more clear than that? Boy, is that politically incorrect? Are you saying Jesus is the only way? Wow. How bright do you have to be to get that out of that text? Look at verse 32. So they kick him out, they threaten him some more, they kick him out by verse 32. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, neither did anyone say that any of the things they possessed were their own, but they had all things in common. What spiritual gift is that, beloved? Giving. Excellent. It's giving. This ain't mine. Who needs it? Who needs my hedge trimmer? Who needs my weed whacker? It's, it's whoever needs it. I love that. It's a spiritual gift of giving. Chapter 5. Now we got a real fun situation because though everyone seems to be showing the spiritual gift of giving, not everybody seems to be having it. Including, for instance, this husband and wife duo who sell, keep a little bit back. Now we have another spiritual gift being advocated because Peter now looks at this guy and he says, now, what compelled you to lie to the Holy Spirit like that? I mean, you sold it. You kept some back for yourself. What spiritual gift is being advocated? The gift of the word of knowledge. I got some information here that I couldn't possibly have had had it not been for the Lord. Now, by the way, it doesn't tell us that's a pastor's unique gift because some people are like, ooh, don't go near the pastor. He just probably knows everything about you. The good news is I don't know everything about you, but let me just be honest to tell you, I don't want to know everything about you. I want to know that you know Jesus. 
You know, if that makes sense, he's like, well, don't go, because he's, he's just going to tell He'll tell you what you did back December 13th, four years ago, you know, and you're like, I really don't want to know what you did four years ago, unless it's life-changing and it needs to be dealt with. Let's just move forward now and say, I want you to know Jesus. But there are times where God's like, look at, I mean, think about, it's like, Lord, give me the gift of knowledge and give me a word of knowledge. And if I can get a word of knowledge, can I have maybe six numbers that I could put on a little card here and hand them in? <laughs> Uh, and then, then give me the gift of giving. <laughs> you know, and it's like, look at God's like, well, I'm not interested. I'm interested in people. I'm not interested in this setting you up. You know, it's like, I mean, you'll never, may, may we never see the show Pimp My Church. You know, that's like unfortunate. But that's there are people that are like, that's their big thing, man. God just, God, give me something to really. I mean, and it sickens me because we grew up in neighborhoods, some of us, where we know what that's like, and there's nothing positive about terms like that. No. So what happens? It says by verse 12, by the way. So we have the spiritual gift of of word of knowledge. And then, by the way, we have the gift of miracles. So not all miracles seem to be positive to everyone. The guy's just... then Then comes the wife, and she's done too. But verse 12, it says, And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. What spiritual gift is that? It's miracles. That should might be easy. Um, chapter 5, verse 16. And they gathered all the surrounding cities of Jerusalem, bringing sick people to those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Tough one. What spiritual gift is that? Yeah. Way to go. And then it says, verse 42, And daily in the temple and in every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus is the Christ. Which spiritual gift? Teaching. teaching. What thing have we seen in every one of the chapters so far? Teaching. What you've seen is teaching, and if, it, if I dare say, probably exhortation in one manner or another. That's the one thing you've seen consistent. They're like, we need, a, we need a, uh, an early Acts church. I'm like, yeah, we need churches that teach. Churches that proclaim a message. Chapter 6, and it picks up here because we really do want to make sure we get lunch today and not just dinner. Well, as the church grows, now we've got a handful of people that are, um, well, now starting to segregate, unfortunately. Man, I'm, I'm, by the way, I want you to know sincerely, if I can just be this genuine with you, I love the fact that this is not an American church, an Afro-Caribbean church, a British church, or for that matter, to be honest, that it's like, okay, I want all the Afro-Caribbeans sitting in the front over here. I want all the real Brits. Let's put you in the front so that maybe we can get you to read scripture so it seems a little bit more legit. And Americans will fit you in wherever else, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, yeah. Some of you are like, well, how many of us are there at the moment? I mean... You know, it's like, how sad would that be? I mean, how sad would you know what that would look like? The world. Uh, on the other side of it, this is this is what God intended for us to be this way, and to be family. And I mean, we all bleed the same color. Uh, and so, you know, with that in mind, just consider the fact that now this is different. Church has grown to a point now where this is becoming cliques, and there are widows that need to be taken care of. They don't have husbands. They don't have kids to take care of them. The church takes the responsibility of taking care of such people. Wouldn't that be weird if that happened today? in the world. You know what you'd find? A lot of older people coming to Christ instead of petitioning to get the church removed. Now, with that in mind, you have, um, and their families responding too. Now, people who are more Greek, they're not traditional Hebrew. Why would we take care of them? They're being kind of shirked in the duties. Peter now takes the responsibility and plays the administrative role again. He advocates it by saying, now here's our problem. Let's Give me a word of wisdom. Let's do something wise in this. Here's the deal. We already have our responsibilities. And hear me out, beloved. As God calls you to a ministry, there are going to be some things that are needs around you that aren't your business. 
They're not your job to fix. And I'm so thankful. They're God's job to fix. So let me remind you, you're the tool, not the hand that turns it. And so Peter and these guys look. Now, we can argue about how it all plays out. But basically, they're like, look, we're kind of doing stuff already. And things are happening pretty well. But there's an awful lot of all y'all out there. What about some of you kind of getting busy? And let's just, let's, I mean, who do you guys know? And I love this. They're, they're enough of a family, a thousands of people, 5,000 people. They're enough of a family at 5,000. They're like, who do you know you can say is full of the Holy Spirit? Who do you know has a good reputation? Look at, they didn't put on an ad to find out who somewhere else is qualified. Everyone was always raised up from the church. I am a strong believer in that. A strong believer. We get CVs sent to us. People are like, hey, this is where I came from. I'm like, look, and unless you're willing to be a part of this, I have no interest. Because you start in the same places we all do. You start in the body because I want you loving this fellowship if you're going to serve among it. And that should happen first. Well, with that in mind, they're like, well, let's take five guys, seven guys that we really, that you could say you would trust, that you see full of the Holy Spirit. And you see that again, you see that administrative gift being advocated. But as it's being advocated, they pick these guys. And one guy's name is Stephen. And boy, they go, this guy's just full of the Holy Spirit. Man, I tell you what. Now, can you imagine what that would mean? It doesn't say spoken tongues as if that was what they were sure it meant. What they, I, mean, I would imagine if someone was full of the Holy Spirit, you'd see somebody that was selfless. You'd see somebody that wasn't about them. And so what they did is they, they, they looked what we're looking for. I mean, you know, what if I said this today? This is how little we know each other at this point. Hey, we've got some needs, and I need someone with the spiritual gift of service, of ministry. And all that means is someone who actually really wants to just fix something, do something that isn't vocal necessarily. It's just fill in a gap for a need. That's fix a switch on a light, perhaps, or put in a, a you know, install a faucet, or it's deliver food to the pub, or... It's whatever that is. And they're like, well, Stephen, no doubt Stephen. That's who I'd say. Someone else goes, Philip. I've got this guy, Philip. And I think it's cool that, I mean, wouldn't it be cool if someone among the fellowship said that about you? So, so these seven guys are popping up. And they're like, and then all of a sudden we see the spiritual gift of service, of ministry being used. As it is the case, an administration has been there. We start seeing by verse 8, Stephen was a man full of prayer, did great wonders and signs. So Stephen actually, we see he has the gift of miracles. And then interesting. And then there were this group, the group called the freedmen, and they tried to argue with them. But notice verse 10, they were not able to resist the wisdom in which the spirit, and the spirit by which he spoke. He actually has then a word of wisdom. He's able to actually demonstrate great wisdom. And by the way, what I found is wisdom doesn't actually win an argument when wisdom actually stops an argument. Did you notice the difference? Wisdom doesn't start an argument. It's sown in peace by those who make peace. Chapter 7 then, Stephen, well, at this point now they've raised up false witnesses. So he teaches, starting in verse 2. That's called a parasha, by the way. When you question someone's Judaism, what they do is they kind of walk you through the history of Judaism. And that's what Stephen does. Is he teaches them. And his sort of basic theme is, yeah, all always been hard-hearted. You've always had a problem following God's selected leader. This is just no different. Which, by the way, which means he's not only doing uh, teaching in this, of course, as well he's doing prophecy. Look at verse 51 of chapter 7. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised of hardened ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. And again, the whole idea of that is he's like sort of laying this whole thing out. And by verse 60, as they go to kill him, could you not see the gift of mercy? As he kneels down and in a loud voice, he says, Lord, don't put this charge against them. What tremendous mercy. 
Then they lay their clothes at a man named Saul. Saul will become Paul. But at this point, he starts persecuting. And that Philip, one of those guys that was the widow waiter, flees for his life to the area of Samaria. As he does, verse 7, it says, Unclean spirits crying out in a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. What spiritual gift is that? Healing. Okay. But he went out preaching the gospel. That's the thing that's concerning. Okay, now... One really key one, because there's only a couple that we haven't seen developed, and I better focus on those so we're not here forever. Although I'm selfish, I would anyways. The discerning of spirits. The natural place for some people to go with it is someone, and I've been told this on more than one occasion, matter of fact, on several occasions, is you can walk in a room and just tell if there's a demon there. I've got the spiritual gift of discernment. I can discern spirits. The problem is, there's nowhere in Scripture you see that. There's nowhere in scripture someone walks in a room. And I'll tell you, there are people, I've, I've worked at Christian bookstores where a gal would look through a photo, uh, like a magazine, of where to order flowers. And she'd say, that's evil. And I'm like, the flowers? The vase? The person who put the flowers together? I don't know, there's just something evil about those flowers. And there's a part of me that thinks, well, okay, we're really in a weird place. And they'll say, because I have the spiritual gift of discerning spirits. Ooh, that gets weird. And then, and then, then it gives you a license, to basically. To, I mean, that, that doesn't mean that the Lord can't peek your spirit and say, hey, there's something not right here right now. But to be honest, I know people who aren't even saved that have that kind of natural talent to be able to say, oh, well, there's, there's you know, everyone's kind of staring at somebody laying bleeding to death on the floor, and someone can walk and go, oh, I just, something's not right here. <laughs> Good job, Sherlock. <laughs> There are other people who, by the way, don't have that gift at all. Have you ever noticed that? Or even the talent? Yeah. You know? So I'll come walking in the room. Where's the party? What? Someone die around here or what? You know? And it's like blood's on their shoe as they kick the guy on the way in. There was a pastor that actually um, offered for me to assist him. This was way back. This is 20-something years ago or 20 years ago. And I had to fill out. Anyone had to fill out this personality test. And it was it was really bizarre for me, at least. Not a lot of questions about ministry, just kind of a lot of questions about what kind of person, you know, what kind of personality. And you had to do what quadrants you fit in and all this kind of stuff. And I remember going to my brother and going, man, this kind of stuff really freaks me out. I mean, several times he asked for a letter from my mother, which is really weird because my brother also used to assist him. And she died before my brother was actually there. And I'm thinking, are you trying to elicit some weird response from me or something? Do you want me to, like, summon the dead? Is this a Samuel moment? You know? But the most amazing part about it was when we had to fill out whether you were a thinker or a feeler, right? And I, and, and I, and I did the test as honestly as I could, and I kid you not, 49.51. I don't even know which side was which. Maybe at that moment I'm feeling it instead of thinking it. But uh, well, one of them I was 1% or 2% higher than the other one. And I kid you not, well, I guess it must have been thinking. Because he sits me down and he says, I'm not sure this is going to work because it's clear from this. You're a thinker, and I'm a thinker. And if the two of us work together, I'm not sure the fellowship is going to feel loved. And I was like, what? I, I, and I felt like the guy just went, bluga, 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 bluga. And I walked away from that, and I went back to my brother and went, what in the world is going on here? And he goes, well, you know, some people actually can figure that stuff on their own. Some people need a test. <laughs> And as weird as it was, that was all the comfort I needed. That was maybe a word of wisdom from my brother. And I just realized, well, 
But the scripture talks about a different thing than just the spirit, because it talks about the spirit of a man, which is, in essence, the condition or the attitude of a person's heart. Classic example, created me a new heart and renew a right spirit, created me a clean heart, renew a right spirit. Now, does that mean, well, I'm just demon-possessed and I need a new spirit in? Or is it like the attitude of my heart's really janky right now and I need you to change that? And it talks about knowing the spirit of a man and really knowing the attitude of his heart. Now, the question is, which one of those two do I see in Scripture? Well, in this chapter, this Philip guy, he heads to Samaria. And there's a guy there, and he is the Harry Potter of the day. He's the sorcerer, and he's very proud of being a sorcerer. As he is, he's like, and they call him the great power of God until the great power of God shows up, which happens to be through Philip. And all of a sudden, he looks and goes, ooh, you got something I don't. And at that... Philip goes, well, you need to believe in Jesus. And the guy goes, okay, I'll do that. I'll pray or whatever. And then he sees Philip lay hands on someone and he sees some demonstration of the Holy Spirit through that. And he goes, and he takes out his checkbook and he goes, how much do I have to pay to get that? To this, to this day, there's a term and the term is simony. And what that means is trying to pay for a religious service. We don't charge for it. We, by the way, we've never charged for a wedding or any of that stuff. Because there's a part of me that still feels like we're still boarding on simony. Well, that's where the term comes from, is from this. Now, now it's interesting because the response to this, by this time, because Peter's jumped into this, because Peter's come to validate the whole thing, and it's Peter's laying these hands. He looks at him and he says something really strange for the situation. I mean, look at it with me for just a moment. It's verse 23. He says, I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Now, that's the strangest thing in the world. I mean, this guy goes, how much do I need to pay so that I can have this spiritual gift like that? And you go, wow, you're obviously very bitter. Does that sound a little strange to you? Well, the only thing that makes sense to me is God gave Peter the spiritual gift of discerning of spirits. And all of a sudden, it was like the Lord gave Peter the ability to look into this guy and go, you know, the real problem isn't that he feels weak. Because that is where I would go naturally is, well, the guy just feels weak and he just wants more power. But strangely enough, the Lord says, hey, you know what? That person's bitter. Have you ever had those moments where you're just talking to someone and the Lord goes, hey, 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 wait a minute. You're going to go the wrong direction with this. Here's the real problem. And, some, and you risk it and you go, wow, you've really, you were really hurt when you were younger, huh? Although they've never even hinted at that kind of direction or, wow, you know what? Is there someone you, there's just someone that you are so angry at right now. And though you've never seen them fume, and it's like the Lord's given you a little bit of insight and he's given you that spiritual gift of discerning spirits. So you can understand the other kind only makes you look good. This kind saves someone. And that's what the Lord's about. Okay, well, then there's only one last one left. And again, we can go through the rest, but at least I just want to take this. And it's something that I, I, that I had to pray about because I'm like, Lord, the gift of interpreting. I'm like, where do I see the gift of interpreting? I'm not we're talking about interpreting spirits. We're talking about the gift of interpreting language, according to this. And well, and there's something that I never really kind of noticed that came with this. And, and really, to be honest, it's in chapter 14. Flip there, and this will be our last one. I hope you don't mind this. You know, I, I, just, I, I just want us to know this stuff because I want the Lord to use us. And I want us to go, wow. And he, you know what? If there's nothing else out of this, I pray that what will happen is the Lord will open our eyes to see somebody else's gifts, that we can encourage them and say, you know, I just happened to notice you just taught or you just prophesied. Because it isn't like, wow, I didn't go, oh, and you know, that's prophecy. You're like, wow, that seems so supernaturally natural for you to prophesy like that. But you still challenge them to repent. 
You didn't do it in a way that you condemn the individual. You said, look, let me lay out what the problem is and let's just deal with it. Or, wow, I happen to notice you had keen insight into that person's spirit. That was pretty amazing. And I would love for us to be a fellowship that attaboys each other, if that makes sense. That goes, wow, did you even know I saw a spiritual gift being just used? I know God just used you. Well, with that in mind, take a look at chapter 14. Here's the deal for what it's worth wrapping this around. Um, it says in verse um, verse 8, In Lystra there was a certain man without strength in his feet. He was crippled from his mother's womb, and he had never walked. Now the man heard Paul speaking. I mean, that's Saul converted. And actually, he doesn't get called Paul, by the way, until he's on the mission field. And Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed. So there's, a, there's, By the way, I would venture to say that's interpreting spirits here, or I should say discerning spirits. He looks and he actually sees something that this guy has trust right now on reserve to be used. And he said with a loud voice, stand up on your feet. That would have to be faith on his own act. And wouldn't you say? It's one thing to go, wow, and just lay hands on him and hope the guy stands up, but then it looks like he's the one that's lacks faith. But for you to stand up and go, get up. And he leapt up and he walked. Now, so far, so great. All kinds of spiritual gifts being used. Now, when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying, and God makes a special note, in the Lycaonian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus. Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And again, notice again how the message is fundamental to all of this. And the priest of Zeus, um, in the temple in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands into the gate, intending to sacrifice to the multitudes. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes. Did you notice that? I miss that. I miss that often because I put myself on that and I'd say, well, here comes these priests and obviously they're bringing animals to kill them. And I go, whoa, 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 whoa. Not good. No, we don't read anywhere that Paul learned the Lycaonian language and God made special note that they were speaking in that language. But it seems to me, it says here, when they heard that. So here's Paul and Barnabas and all of a sudden someone turns and goes, booga, 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 or whatever. And if you're Lycaonian, I don't mean to insult you. <laughs> But I mean, imagine it's something like that to everyone else that's on your team at the moment. And you go, oh man, let me just tell you what they just said was, they think we're gods. And I think, you know, I've prayed for this gift going to California. People are like, dude, bro, man, and I'm like, whoa, Holy Spirit, I'm going to need your help with that one. Was that, was that a good thing or a bad thing? Dude, you are gnarled. Hmm. Thank you. <laughs> well, this is one of those moments. And notice the spiritual gift of it, and in a very important moment, because they were able to interpret the language enough to go stop. And they're already trying to stop it before the cow comes out. They're already stopping it before the priest. But some people aren't listening. They're going to get the priest anyways. And they're like, stop, stop. This is not the case. Stop. I think, wow. Wouldn't you want a gift like that at the time like that? Okay, now look at We've gone through every one of these gifts now, these 17. We've seen them born out. And every one of them, it's just never about you being anything. It's about you being other than being used. Because this whole thing isn't about making you important. You were already important the moment you got saved. You were important when Jesus died for you. This is about you being used. Let me remind you, the Holy Spirit comes upon you to make you evidence to the lost and a blessing to the saved. So as we pray... I want to pray for every one of you. I want to pray for me. 
that first of all, God would actually give us court vision for each other. If you know something, a team that wins often is a team that actually knows that guy's got a great kick over here and this person. And you just know, a coach knows where to put him, but also the players know when to get the ball to the right guy at the right time because they're like, you know what? I know if he's, if I, if I push, if I, in basketball, if I come in and these guys close in on me and this guy's behind me, I know he can shoot that ball from out there. I know it. So you, you know, be there. And I can look back and go, he's in position because he knows what, he knows I'm the guy that'll push these guys in. And if that's the case, I know he can shoot from there. I trust him in that. I've seen the Lord work in that way because I've watched him play. And I watched some of you play. And I've watched, there are times where I'm like, I just know if I put this person into the mix, I just know something really good is going to come out of it. So add a boy, add a girl. And so let's pray. And let's pray that the Lord use every one of us. We have yet to discover our potential. And if you think, well, I know I have the spiritual gift of one thing here, then get your eyes off of that now and get your eyes on the Lord with me. So that the Lord will say, how about I enlarge your docket and say, I've got a whole lot of tips and I've got other ones just to use. I don't want to use you for more things than you think. Last thing again on this. Hey, look, have you accepted the gift of Jesus in the first place? That's how this happens. They first encounter Jesus so that this happens. Have you? Would you pray with me? Lord, I want to thank you so much. I recognize this has gone quite long, Lord, but I also recognize the necessity of developing some of this so we can understand it better. Lord, I, I pray for an axe type of church, but not one in regards to all of the lunacy. I mean, these people are still trying to figure out stuff we have clearly listed in Scripture. We should be better than the Acts church. Because we should be one that actually has much more information to clearly define what's right and wrong and behavior within the church. I just pray right now, Lord, for us as a Christian group, Lord, as a fellowship, that we would be available to be used by you, Lord, but we would have that go for it in our spirit like they did. Lord, I pray for those that would, that would every one of us would so delight in you, Lord, that out of the overflow of our, of our clinging to you, Lord, will come these gifts to serve each other, to make us a blessing to each other and evidence to the lost. Lord God, please do that in each one of us. Thank you for the privilege of this time. Thank you, Lord, for the way we've been able to go at least systematically through some of the texts, Lord. And, and I just pray right now, Lord, for every one of us that we would just say, God, I'm available. Make me cling to you. Cause me to love you with everything. And in that, Lord, in abandon to you from everything else, use us as evidence to the lost, and blessings to the saved. And Lord, if there be any or many who have not accepted the gift of you, I just pray this will be it right now. And so Lord, as this is the case, I just want to again confess my love to you and my surrender to you. So I know that I've been a sinner. I know that I'm a person that needs to be forgiven. That's who we are. That's who I am. We are that way as human beings. But Jesus, you died on the cross to pay for every one of my sins so that I could leave that person behind and embrace the new life you offer me as you've resurrected from the dead. A new life where Jesus, you are Lord and Savior, while you're a king and master. So I say yes to you. And I commit this to you now, Jesus, in your name. I say I'm yours. I believe in you and your gift. Amen.